Father, it seems that knowing what I know about what has already been taught this morning in Sunday school, what is before us in this passage, what some of us are going to be studying in the home fellowship group tonight and the coming weeks, that you have some very important things to convey to us, and it seems that you're stacking them one on top of another. You are the great orchestrator of all things, and you have orchestrated at least three teachings in close proximity that coincide with one another in a way that we, we could not have coordinated. We, we believe that you do all things for a purpose, for our good, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so, Father, as we approach the word this morning, would you please have your way with us? Would you please grant it to be the case that for, for those who are seemingly stagnant, that this would be a day of great change, a turning point for them, and that all of us would press on to maturity in Christ that we would not be a people complacent in anything and especially in the nourishing of our souls through the gospel and your word in Christ. Please help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. This morning we're going to be considering 5.11 through 6.3. So if you please stand with me, we'll read those verses. Hebrews 5.11 through 6.3. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. You may be seated. So Pastor Jason and I, the last couple of days, just in casual conversation with one another, found dramatic overlap between what he was planning to teach in Sunday school and what's coming up in this sermon. And then I also heard from other people things coming up in the book on maturity that we're doing in our home fellowship groups. And it just, it struck me 
the kind of overlap there is in these three teachings. And so I, I, I would encourage you to consider Sunday school this morning, if you were there, this sermon, and then the discussion that we're going to be having, having in the at least the early chapters of our book on maturity. This is ordained by the Lord that these things are lining up. And just consider why that might be in your life in particular. What happens... What happens when a person is severely malnourished? Somebody perhaps who is only eating once a week. What happens in that person's body? Well, that kind of malnourishment affects every system in the body. You don't just stop growing if you're a child and you don't just continue in the place where you, where you left off physically before you began to not eat but rather you go backwards health-wise. You go backwards in terms of your muscle mass. You go backwards in terms of bodily function. And ironically, one of our body's systems that takes the hardest hit when we are malnourished is our digestive system. It, 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 it just it doesn't work right. And I won't go into all the particulars. I encourage you to, to do some research. But essentially, if you don't eat... It damages your body's ability to process food and absorb the nutrients so that whatever little you are taking in, you don't benefit from it because your body is unable to use those nutrients. It's been damaged through disuse. And so this is a perfect metaphor for the author of Hebrews to be bringing to us at this juncture in the letter. It's a perfect metaphor for the recipients, the original recipients of Hebrews. It's likely an apt metaphor for many of us in this room. Why would the author be bringing this kind of thing up at this point in the letter? Well, we find ourselves toward the beginning of the largest section of Hebrews, which extends from 4.13 to 10.25. And in that extended section... The author is making the case that Jesus' priesthood is superior to the old covenant priesthood. And the whole argument is intended to move the readers to cling to Christ and not revert to the old covenant. Now, last time, we saw that the author began to explain that Christ is a high priest according to the, to the order of Melchizedek, which may have been a new concept for some of us. And the author wants to keep going with this Melchizedek stuff, but he's taking a breather right here to have what we might call a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the readers, to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with us. Because the original recipients, maybe some of us, could be having a difficult time processing the truths that he's teaching because we are chronically malnourished spiritually. And he addresses it right here in this letter because it needs to be rectified. It needs to be rectified if we are going to survive. The first point that the author makes is that spiritual lethargy will lead to spiritual immaturity and spiritual danger. Spiritual lethargy will lead to spiritual immaturity and spiritual danger. Let's look again at verse 11, 511. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Again, he has, he has a lot more to say about 
Jesus Melchizedekian priesthood, but it's going to be difficult for him to convey this to them, not because the subject matter is inherently difficult. That isn't it. And it's not because the readers are morons, but rather the readers are, more literally, lazy of ears. That's the, that's the, the most literal way to translate what we have in the ESV, dull of hearing, lazy of ears. The NIV reads, you no longer try to understand. The CSB says, you're too lazy to understand. The, the New Living Translation says, you're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. Those are all great ways of capturing the more literal lazy of ears. And, and this, this implies something, something that we would do well to get out in the open this morning and something that we approach occasionally. But going deeper into the Scriptures and rightly applying those truths, living out what we understand this is work. It isn't easy. It is hard work. Otherwise, it would make no, no sense for him to, to say anything about the people being lazy of ears. Going deeper into the Scriptures, going deeper into our application of it, it is hard work. It takes time. It takes mental energy. It takes determination. And so the, the original readers, perhaps some of us, have a moral problem not an intellectual one. They develop an intellectual one, but, but they, they have at the foundation a moral problem, and it's laziness. They are following their disinclination to understand and apply the truth. The author of Hebrews concludes, it, it, you know, if you find the stuff that I've been teaching, this is the author of Hebrews speaking, I'm paraphrasing. If you find the stuff that I've been teaching hard to understand, it's because your moral problem your laziness of ears has led to an intellectual condition. Their spiritual and moral lethargy, their disinclination to understand and apply the Word, has led to a relative inability to understand and apply the Word. Spiritual lethargy can come to us for a host of reasons. Perhaps it's, it's because we're discouraged. Maybe we're going through a difficulty or a trial we could just be distracted by, by the world or busyness around us. It could be persecution. There could be any, any number of things that lead us to spiritual lethargy. But something has moved these people, the original recipients, to no longer try to understand the Scriptures. It's a sign of their shrinking back from faithful discipleship. It's, it's his overall concern. He sees in, in this church, he sees in it a... a, a a shrinking back from the following after Christ that characterized their early Christianity. And, and it's led to a place where they just don't have the capacity to easily understand and apply what he's teaching. It's appropriate for us to be measuring where we are relative to the things that we're, that we're encountering here. What would the author of Hebrews be concerned about with you? Would he, would he share this concern? Concern that he has for the original recipients. Would, it, would he be concerned about the same thing with you? He indicates that progression in understanding is the norm for believers. Progression in understanding is the norm for believers. He, he writes in, in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... 
By, by now, you should be teaching. And that doesn't mean that, that everyone should be functioning in the formal, formal role of a teacher in the church. But at some point, every believer should come to the place of maturity where they can explain deeper truths to others. And certainly there are, there are people in our congregation who don't necessarily have the gift of teaching, but who are in relationships with younger people in the faith, and they're explaining truths to them. Explaining to them what the Bible means and how to live in light of it. Progression in the faith, progression in understanding and applying truth is assumed for those walking with Christ. The author is saying you've been in the faith long enough that you should have progressed to the place where you not only understand all these things that I've been teaching, but you're able to explain them to other people. Those who have been in the Lord for many years should be noticeably beyond new believers in understanding and practice. The author is identifying a reason for some of these people to be in danger. Remember, he's concerned about apostasy. He's concerned about people walking away from the faith, which is a moral issue. And he's identifying a reason that they might be Drifting toward apostasy, and that reason is that they haven't progressed as they should in understanding and practice. Lack of understanding hinders our ability to apply truth, and it can lead to apostasy. And the spiritual norm for a disciple is similar to the physical norm for a human being. We've got got infancy, we've got childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, mature adulthood, etc. So, if we just look around this building, we go to the different places in this building, we find five-year-olds tend to look like five-year-olds. And adults tend to look like adults. Now, if we were to have an adult who has the physical characteristics of a baby, we would not just say, that's a little unusual. We would run that child or that adult who looks like a child, we run them to the doctor. There's something wrong here. It's not just unusual. It's dangerous. There's something bad wrong. However, some in the modern church are perfectly comfortable never growing in their understanding of and application of the truth or not growing for years. Some people may be able to say, I'm exactly where I was five years ago and it doesn't bother them at all. Listen, not progressing in the things of the Lord, not progressing in your understanding and application of the Scriptures That's the norm for a person dead in their trespasses and sins. It is not the norm for somebody who is alive in Christ. Regression is the alternative. Regression is the alternative. I mentioned a moment ago that that, that person who can look back five years and say, I'm in the same place I was five years ago. They're not. They may think they're in the same place, but they are behind. They've they've gone backward because he says in verse 12, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Teach you again. If you need someone to teach you something, it's because you don't understand it. And if you need someone to teach you again, it's because you lost what you formerly understood. You, what, you, you were taught one time, perhaps you gra- grasp it, but if somebody needs to teach you again, it's because you lost what, what you learned. You lost what had become, you had become accustomed to living in light of. That's not stagnation. 
This is not standing still in the same place, just not growing, some kind of marking time. No, what he's depicting here and what he's addressing in the original recipients is regression, going backward. You need to be taught again basic principles. You need milk, he writes. That's more literally, you have become needful of milk. This is a condition that is developed by those who are lazy of ears. If, if, you, if you were, just going back to this food metaphor, if, if you were to fast for a week, fast for one week, seven days, and your first meal, you're, you're going to have some five-alarm chili, just get ready. That, that chili's not staying down because, because your system is out of practice, so to speak. You have to work up to that. You want to break a fast with something that is very easy to digest. And it's like this spiritually. If you fast from deeper truths, or worse, all truth, you will develop an intolerance for it that will require you to be taught again basic truths. You, you, you can't handle a sandwich. You, can't hand, you certainly can't handle steak. You need milk. You need somebody to come along and, and, and go back to the beginning with you. And that's a condition, again, that's developed by the lazy of ears. And it's developed by those who have lazy ears because of their lazy ears. Be, because they don't intentionally work hard at progressing and understanding and applying the Scriptures, they have a decreased capacity to do so. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. Nay, you have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. So if we would say, I'm kind of stagnant right now, not really, you're going backwards. And that's dangerous because constant remedial teaching leads to ignorance. Constant remedial teaching leads to ignorance. And when I use the word ignorance today, I'm talking not, not just about not understanding, but not understanding with your life, not living in light of what you should understand. Look at verse 13. He writes, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Some of you who have other translations, you may find that, that unlike the ESV, which renders it child here, other translations render it infant, which may be a more accurate word in, in Greek. Th- those who live on milk, they will remain spiritual infants. They will be unable to function as mature believers. He, he already said in, in verse 11 they should be teachers by, by now. But in terms of their maturity, their understanding of and appropriation of the Word, in those terms, they are spiritual infants. The, 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 the lazy of ears do not understand deeper things of the Word because they subsist on a steady diet of basic truths. Just relearning them over and over and over. So they have not developed the ability, the digestive system, so to speak, to process deeper things. When he uses the phrase unskilled in the word of righteousness, he he means not, not just not knowing the truth, 
but not doing it. In, in, in the context of this letter, he, he's got in mind specifically all this stuff that he's been talking about with Christ and his priesthood and Christ being a, Mel, a Melchizedekian priest. He's talking about that stuff. The person unskilled is somebody who doesn't have a clue what the author of Hebrews is talking about. The person skilled in this is someone who understands all the things that, that the author of Hebrews is teaching, could teach them to others, and therefore, because they understand those things, they are currently doing what he's been exhorting us to do, which is they are holding fast to the confession of Christ, and they are habitually drawing near to the throne of grace for help. The person skilled in the word of righteousness understands and applies Some of us may be tremendously discouraged at this point. The good news is that that this condition does not have to be the end of the story for us. This does not have to be a permanent condition because he indicates here that training and discernment leads to greater understanding. Training and discernment leads to greater understanding. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Deeper truths are digestible by the mature because they work at it. They have trained their faculties. And again, it's not just about understanding the truth, but also applying it. The mature are mature because they've worked Hard, and the New Testament repeatedly teaches the gospel, repeatedly teaches us that that all of us are are conceived dead in our trespasses and sins. And as a result of our being in in Adam and our choosing to sin against God, we, we are all born under the condemnation of a holy God. But God is gracious and loving and merciful, and so He sent His own Son to take the place of sinful men. Obeying perfectly in their place. Dying on the cross in their stead. Taking the penalty for their sin. He was raised from the dead three days later so that everyone who trusts in Him will not spend eternity away from God in perdition, but rather they will spend eternity with the Father as His adopted son or daughter and Christ's brother or sister. They will enjoy life now and into eternity. The New Testament repeatedly teaches us that gospel. And in light of that gospel, the New Testament repeatedly, habitually calls us to grow in Christ-likeness. Not in our own power, but by faith in the power of the Spirit of Christ. And the mature are mature because they are not infants in the Scriptures. They, they, They understand the gospel and its implications for life. And by constant practice... They, they, they worked hard at understanding the Bible and its message and applying it. They've worked hard at thinking through how it should inform their particular lives, their specific decisions, and their priorities, their thinking, their affections, their everything. And they work at doing those things. They work not just at understanding the Bible, but they work at understanding how it applies to them, and then they work hard at doing that. Training implies intentionality. The mature do this on purpose. They do this with a plan. Just think about 
the, those of you who have raised children, think about your own raising of kids. You know, you, you don't feed an infant whatever you can find around the house. You don't give a baby a, a foot-long chili dog. You, you start with just milk, and then, and then you, you move up to pureed food. You, 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 you begin with the stuff that's easy to digest, but you're progressing them by giving them food that is more and more of a challenge to, to digest because they need that food in order to continue to grow. Eventually, they're eating solid food and meat. And where, where this metaphor breaks down is that a believer never fully arrives at maturity. We, we are only completely conformed to the image of Christ at His return. But until then, we're, we are to be constantly challenging ourselves to digest more and more difficult food, to understand more and more and apply it to our lives. All of this is to suggest that the, that the Bible intake and application application of a mature believer should not look the same as that of a new believer. In fact, it won't. It can't because the person who is not digesting deeper things, understanding deeper things and applying them, that person is not going to progress to maturity. So just to recap, let's let's think through the the flow of thought that the author is, is giving us here. Lethargy, you might call laziness of ears, this leads to a lack of training. A lack of training leads to a lack of understanding. Lack of understanding leads to a lack of application. Where does that go? This lack of application, where does it go? It leads to spiritual danger. And the, the, the particular spiritual danger, again, that he has in mind is, is apostasy. The context makes this abundantly clear. Why, why is he writing the epistle at all? to keep them from abandoning the faith. And again, why would they do that? They would do that because they aren't living in light of the truth, because they don't understand the truth, because they haven't trained their faculties in the truth, because they are lazy of ears. Spiritual lethargy, laziness of ears. This is, this is the first step on the road toward apostasy. That's, that's the flow of the argument. That's, that's why he's, he's going through all of this. So, so again, let's think about ourselves. Am I in danger? Are you in danger? If you are spiritually lethargic, I'd say you need to take that as a major warning sign. So, some, some among us may have been lethargic for years. Major warning sign. Spiritual lethargy is the breeding ground for unbelief and eventually just walking away. The good news is it's not too late. And he prescribes a, a, a remedy going into chapter 6. Believers must move on to maturity. They must move on to maturity. Look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So you, you may notice there, he gives, he gives three pairs of examples of what he considers elementary doctrines. 
repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, and resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. Now, I'd like to start in the middle of those or toward the middle of those with instruction about washings. That's more literally teaching about baptisms. Baptisms is plural there, likely because of the necessity of a new believer to learn about baptism and in their context, how Christian baptism should be differentiated from the ritual cleansings of the Old Testament. There's nothing ritual about Christian baptism. It it is a public profession of faith. That's something that we need to learn as, as new believers. He then goes on and talks about the laying on of hands. In the New Testament, that's connected to a number of different things. Reception of the Holy Spirit. Reception of spiritual gifts. Occasionally, it's, it's associated with healings. With the reception of blessings. It's not obvious if he has one of these things in mind or if he has all of them in mind. But likely, he associates it with, with early teaching, early understanding, early practice in the believer's life. That's why he's calling it a, a, an elementary doctrine. It's rudimentary to the Christian life. If we go back to that first, that first pair, repentance and faith. These are basic components of the gospel. These are the, the appropriate responses. We might call it one response, repentance and faith. That's one, that's one biblical response to hearing the good news. Resurrection from the dead and, and eternal judgment. Also parts of the gospel. All of these things, rudimentary teachings associated with the good news. All of these things he associates with the very beginning of the life of the believer. And and, and it could be said that they're all associated with the gospel. And he writes, interestingly, let's leave these things behind and go on to maturity. What exactly might he mean by that? Let's leave these things behind. He doesn't mean that in an absolute sense as if to say, let's forget the gospel. Let's forget these things that we learned. No, remember back in 5.11, he said, you should be a teacher by now, which means you should have mastered this to the place where you can explain all of this stuff to other people. Further, the apostles in the New Testament, they were very quick to teach the gospel to churches, to those who had already responded favorably to the gospel. That's why we find Paul saying in Romans chapter 1, to, to believers, I am eager to preach to you the gospel gospel is very important. For that reason, we, we regularly teach on the gospel in, in, in sermons, Sunday school, home fellowship groups, because it's essential to our health as believers. What the author is calling us to do here when he says, let's leave this behind, is he, he's calling us to build on these things. Don't, don't lay, them, lay them aside in an ultimate sense, but let's build on them. He says, let's not lay again a foundation. That doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean never teach on these things, never return to them. The language that he's saying, using here indicates that these are foundational truths. What he means is build the rest of the house. Don't, don't just live on the slab. Keep going. Continue to deeper truths, deeper understanding, greater application, deeper understanding of the gospel. Don't, don't stay where you are. Build on that foundation. Spiritual growth depends upon increased understanding and obedience. Spiritual growth depends upon increased understanding and obedience. Now, now let, me, let me just stop right there and just say two things. Let's not equate, as we're, as we're thinking through these things, let's not equate growth in knowledge 
with maturity. Some of the ungodliest people we'll ever meet are people who know the Bible very, very well. So let's not make that mistake. Just if, if I just learn more, then, I'll, then, then that means I'm mature. But secondly, let's not make the mistake of thinking that spiritual growth can happen in the absence of growth in knowledge. So l- let's not be anti-knowledge, but let's understand that, that, that we have to have it and we have to apply it in order to grow in the things of the Lord. To apply the Scriptures, you have to know them. To live in light of the truth, you have to know the truth. To think rightly about the world, God, and yourself, you have to understand what is right. That's why gospel growth entails knowing the truth and doing it. Growth is it, it is becoming more conformed to the image of Christ in your character and conduct, and that requires application of understanding. And so, as he says here, let's, let's leave these things behind and let's continue on to maturity What he's indicating is that that we all need to hone our ability to digest the Scriptures. We need to work at understanding and applying the Word of God. We need to make that a high priority in our lives. And there are many avenues for stoking that fire here at Providence Bible Fellowship. If if you need help with this, ask for help. If you need somebody to, to help you understand the Word and apply it, ask for help. If you need someone to read with you, ask someone to do that with you. They'll do it. Ask one of the elders. We'll get you connected with somebody. Spiritual growth depends upon increased understanding and obedience. A final truth that he touches on here is that spiritual growth is synergistic. Synergistic. He writes in 6.3, And this we will do if God permits. The sense is, we'll press on to maturity. We'll reach maturity if God permits. Now that comes after what he's written in 6.1. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So in 6.1 it sure sounds like there he's saying, let's do this. Get after it. And then in 6.3 well we will if God if God allows. And, And we might think Make up your mind, bro. Which is it? Do do, do we press on to maturity? Or or does God do it? Now, this is is a a practical way in which what's being taught in this passage kind of shows itself to us real time. If you're a new believer and you find this thing confusing, he says that we should pursue it. And then he says, we'll do it if God permits. If you're a new believer and you don't understand that, you find that confusing, you probably should find that confusing. Understanding how our effort, our effort coincides with God's is a solid food kind of truth. Right? On the other hand, if we've been believers for, for a long time, years, decades, and we're confused by this, it's another indication that we have been living on milk for too long. This, this may not be an elementary concept, but it's close. Now, don't be discouraged, but, but take that as a challenge and press on. God works and 
we work in our spiritual growth. We strive for growth, trusting in His power for it. Pastor Jason had a quote from Stuart Scott in Sunday school this morning. He said that, that, that growth depends upon, is based upon dependence upon God's strength coupled with our effort, our response of effort. In our equipping intensive Friday night, like, Friday night before last, I gave several passages in the New Testament that teach this very thing side by side. We work and God works. This, this passage that we're studying this morning is one of them. Let me give you another one right now. It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work, work hard. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We could add 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5 to that list as well. It says God has given us, given us power. He's given us everything. He has, he has given us gifts that we might partake of the divine nature. And then He says, strive to, to, to add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, strength and maturity. In other words, God works and we work. And so the author here is just reminding us, look, this, this thing of growing spiritually, I've, I've been after you to grow spiritually, and I've pressed hard on you in this passage, but let's not think of this like putting quarters in a vending machine. This is not a thing where you just push the right buttons and you'll get maturity spit out at you. Don't think this is all human willpower because it isn't. That's not what this is about. Our growth is dependent upon God's power and will. We must pursue maturity then prayerfully seeking His power and trusting Him for it. That's what synergism means. Synergistic means working together. God works and we work. Not equally and not in the same way, but, but God does and we do. We do what He calls us to do, trusting Him for the power that He supplies. Now, if, if we grab that, if we, if we really embrace that, practically, what effect is that going to have on how we obey 6.1? 6.1 says, let's leave these things behind. Let's press on to maturity. How will 6.3 season our pursuit of obedience in 6.1? I can think of one major thing. It is going to make us prayerful. It's going to make us prayerful in our sanctification. Praying to God expressing dependence upon Him, and expressing trust of Him to give us what we need to obey what He has called us to do. I don't know if the other pastors would, would agree with this or if their experience would reflect this as well, but in my tenure as a pastor, I've found, found that the most mature believers, they pray for their own spiritual growth with the conviction that their vigor and faithfulness absolutely depend on it. Let me say that again. In my experience, my, my observation, the most mature believers are those who pray as if their own spiritual vigor and faithfulness absolutely depend on it. Lord, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I need your help and I trust you for it as I pursue Christ-likeness. Are you praying like your own spiritual vigor and faithfulness depend on it? As we, as we begin to, to wind down here, I, I wonder how many of us have recognized 
that we, we are not where we should be given how long we've known the Lord. Perhaps you've been challenged by, by this passage and, and, and you want to train your faculties for maturity, but maybe you don't know what the next steps would be. The big idea, and I'm going to give you some very practical things in a moment, but the big idea is no matter where you find yourself right now, press on from there. If you're a new believer, press on. If you've been in the Lord for a few years, press on. If you're a deacon or, or a teacher, press on. If you're an elder, press on. Don't be satisfied with your current level of maturity. Challenge yourself to greater understanding and more faithful application. That's going to call for intentionality. Intentionality in, in three areas, I would suggest. There are other things that would help this, but for the sake of time, intentionality in three, three areas. Bible intake, Bible application, and prayer. Bible intake, Bible application, and prayer. So let, let me give you some suggestions regarding how to progress in Bible intake. If your spiritual diet right now consists mostly of reading devotionals, then, then I would say add Bible to that. There are some fantastic devotionals out there, but I would say if, if, you, if you are intending to grow in the Scriptures, don't stay in the place where all you do is read devotionals, what other people have written about the Bible. They may have written very well about it, but get into the Scriptures yourself. A great place to start is a Bible reading plan that takes you through the Bible in one year. If you've done the Bible reading plan in a year, challenge yourself. Read it in six months. Read it in three months. You think, I don't have time. You'd be shocked at how much time you have. Put your phone in a drawer, get it out for phone calls, and read the Bible when you're not making phone calls. If you've, if you've, if you've done that, I, it, let me stop there. I've just, learned, I've just learned of a believer who's been in the Lord for three years, three years, and, and we would say, that's, that's probably a new believer. We might think of that person as a toddler. This person is on pace to read the Bible three times this year. Already read it in three months. Decided to slow down a little bit. Read it in six months. Is about to read it in three months again. I would suggest to you that's not a Herculean thing to do. That's, that, I would suggest that's not something that, that only mature believers should do. The mature stuff that I'm going to suggest is later. If we're thinking strategically about growing in the Lord, what, what this new believer has done is simply a progression from new, new believer to less new believer. And, and reading through the Scriptures repeatedly, like those, those, those I'm, I'm going to read all the way through, I'm going to do it in a year, I'm going to do it in six months, three months, that's going to give you a broad knowledge of the Scriptures. It's going to give you a broad knowledge of the Scriptures. It is not going to give you a deep knowledge of the Scriptures. But it likely is the appropriate place for, for some of us to be. Because we, we haven't yet gained the broad knowledge. And I would suggest to you, gain the broad knowledge before you go deep or you're going to be go, going deep into error. You need that broad knowledge. So read the Bible through. Read it through. Read it through. Read it in, in, in a year, six months, three months. If you've read the Bible numerous times, then a next step may be reading a particular book repetitively. 
Read a book over and over and over. Read Ephesians every day for one month. And you may think, that sounds ridiculous. I don't have time to sell you on it. I just challenge you, do it, and you'll know exactly why I'm recommending it. After you've done Ephesians for a month, John 1 through 7, read those seven chapters every day for one month. The next month, 8 through 14, John 8 through 14, every day for one month. Then the fourth month of this, of this train, John 15 through 21, every day for a month. You can do that with most of the Bible, and you'll, you'll gain benefit from it, and your mind will be blown by how much you are missing reading from Genesis straight through to Revelation. You'll be going deeper into the Scriptures at this point. Not broad, you'll be going deep. It's time-consuming. You may think, goodness, if I do that just with the New Testament, that's going to take me like three years. Well, you could do that for the next three years, or you could read the Bible three times once a year for the next three years and not be where you are now. Remember, because we're not talking about stagnancy. We're talking about regression. You can keep doing what you're doing and regress for the next three years, or for the next three years you could do something very strategic and challenging, and at the end of those three years, know the, know the New Testament very, very well. That repetitive reading, once you've done that, then you can go back to that, that longer reading. You go back to reading all the way through the Scriptures, doing that in, in a year or six months, three months, and you will be so blessed by how much more the storyline of Scriptures, how, how the theology progresses throughout the book, the thing will make so much more sense to you. you. You'll have become, by doing the repetitive reading, particularly in the New Testament, you will have become a walking cross-reference through that reading. And so when you're going back to Genesis, you'll have things firing off in your mind about Revelation, things, things from, from John chapter 1 as you're reading Genesis. And so you'll be able to see, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit was setting up to pay off in John 1 or 1 Peter, or Psalms. And at that time, if, once you've gathered a good familiarity through that kind of reading, move into study and meditation. Study a book of the Bible in depth and meditate on it. If you don't know how to do that, just ask for help. A ask one of the more mature believers here. Ask one of the elders. We will teach you how to do that. That's a, that is a natural progression in, in our challenging ourselves to digest harder and harder food. Now, why would I say meditate, wait until this point to meditate? Others would disagree with me, and that, that's fine. But why I say meditate at this point is because if you start meditating on Scripture before gaining a familiarity with the context of a book or with the Bible, you will without fail meditate deeply on flawed interpretations. Don't meditate until you know what it means. I'm speaking from experience as a young man. I, I, I got deeply into meditation, like, like right out of the gate. And I was dead wrong. It's not that it didn't benefit me at all, because there's a lot of stuff that, that's, that's on the surface and I benefited from those things. But when I, was, when I was digging deep and trying to chew as deeply into the text as I could, just a, like a, a verse or two at a time, without thought for the context, I ended up in terrible error. So meditate on what you, what, what, what you know. You know what it means, and that takes time and study, then meditate on it. Once you've done all, all of that, then I suggest just alternate all of the above. Just 
Keep, keep doing it. Read at warp speed through the whole thing. Then, then read repetitively through, through a book that you already know very well. And then meditate on, on, on a book that you've studied. And then study another book. Change it up constantly. Now, now what I'm prescribing may be so out there that people think I'm nuts. But a next step, let's say you've done all of these things. People will think I'm nuts for saying this. I, I, I just say this is, this is the next place to go. If you th- feel like you've exhausted everything, learn the biblical languages. You do not have to be a seminarian to do that. Now, we've talked a lot about study in the last few minutes. What about application? Because we've, we've talked throughout this whole thing, and this, this passage assumes that we're not talking just about growth in knowledge, but growth in applying that knowledge. So what might we do to press on in the area of application and our skill in putting to work the things that we've learned? If you don't have any plan at all right now, maybe, maybe your devotional life is, I read the Bible, I pray, and then I leave it until, until the next day. I don't really think much about what to do with these things. I encourage you to acquire one of Pastor Jason's Growth and Godliness journals. This is one of those things that we were both intending to say this morning, and we did not coordinate, okay? So I think the Lord may have in mind for many of you asking Pastor Jason for that journal because it's dynamite, especially if you've never done anything like this before. That journal is going to lead you through daily prompts helping you to think, what should I do with what I've seen in the Word? And, and, and what are the practical steps that I'm going to take to apply that word. Now, if, if you're in the habit of doing something like that already, guided thoughts on application, then the next step would be non-guided thoughts on application, which Pastor Jason has already shared with us this morning and which I say a hearty amen to. Journaling is fantastic for this. It's, it, it is great for you just get a blank notebook and you write about what you've seen in the word. Not just this is what I think it means. You, you do that. I think this is what it means. I think this is, this is how it should apply in me. This is where I'm falling short. This is, where, this is where the Lord has already granted me growth. I'm writing about those things. And then I'm writing a plan for what I'm going to do with this. Writing as a method for meditation I have found to be extremely helpful. I'm not a guy that keeps a diary, but I find this kind of thing very helpful for me. You can grow further by identifying an area that needs to change in your character and conduct, and for a season of your life, devote your devotional time to, to tackling that thing, which, is, which, which may mean well, I've got, got an anger problem. I'm going to do a Bible study on anger, and I'll be able to do it because I've, got, I've gained a broad knowledge in the Scriptures and a deep knowledge in the Scriptures, and I can rattle off three or four passages right now that tell me what to do or, 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 or inform my thinking about, about anger and, and its biblical, biblical opposite, gentleness and patience. That's, that's a next step in application. I'm, I'm going to find this thing that's been going on in me, and I'm going to tackle that, and I'm going to study the Scriptures about it. I'm going to memorize, meditate, and come up with a plan for Daily, in practical ways, living in light of that. Finally, prayer. How do we progress in prayer? I encourage you to pray regularly about your own spiritual growth. Pray as if your spiritual vigor and faithfulness depend on it because they do. Pray about what you're reading in the Scriptures. Pray about insight regarding how to apply it. 
Pray for diligence and power in practicing what you've learned. Pray, pray, pray. I encourage you to be as specific as you can in your prayers with this kind of thing. Not just, Lord, help me to grow spiritually. But, Lord, help me to understand John 1.3. Help me to understand that. And help me to understand that if I, if I believe this, it's going to look a particular way. Lord, show me what's this going to look like if I believe this. And now, Lord, help me to come up with steps to live in light of that in practical ways. In this difficult situation at work, Lord, how am I going to put one foot in front of the other toward obeying John 1.3 in that situation this week? Praying about that. Praying, praying, praying. You know, there are some things that the Father might be reluctant to give a yes to or, or, or to answer in the affirmative. These kinds of prayers are not things that the Father holds out on. Pray with others. Pray with others. Pray alone. Pray with others. Get somebody that, that, is, that is serious about, about walking with the Lord the way that you are and pray for one another. How can I pray for you regarding what you've been reading, what you've been applying? How can I pray about that for you? Here's how you could pray for me. Let's pray for one another at the same time. Participate in the monthly prayer gathering. Participate in the monthly prayer gathering. Request prayer of the church for your own spiritual growth. Perhaps you've got something like this that you've seen in the Word. You know that you need to apply it and live in light of it. And now you have the opportunity now at Providence to ask the congregation to pray as a body for you in that. All you have to do is open up the PBF app and it's right there in the middle of the screen. Prayer gathering requests. The mature. They digest solid food. They understand it and they apply it in practical ways, they do that because they have trained their faculties by constant practice to discern good from evil. So let us, let us be fortified in our faith. Let us be free from apostasy by moving intentionally toward maturity. Let's pray. Father, again, given, given the seemingly uncanny timing of some of the things that we are studying in, in, in other venues, it, it would appear that this message also is, is timely for a good number of us. So, Father, we pray that this passage and its truth would weigh on us like a, a, a glorious gift of a burden that we would feel the weight of our relative immaturity and have a deep desire to press on to maturity in Christ. That we would want to know Him. That we would want to walk in fellowship with Him, in joy and in His sufferings. Please move us to go deeper, deeper than we have been in our understanding and our application so that we would be fortified against unbelief, so that we would cross the finish line of faith, ultimately and most importantly, so that you would be glorified in us, demonstrating that your gospel is indeed true. 
Father, as we, as we observe a few moments silently here, would you please move in each of our hearts and, and give us direction by your Holy Spirit exactly where you would have us to begin pressing in to maturity. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.